Chapter 6 Specific Awkward Situations Imagine spending about 10 minutes saying goodbye to an acquaintance, departing, and suddenly realizing that you have to walk in the same direction for five blocks. Does that sound awkward to you? What about commenting on someone's weight gain only to learn that they're pregnant? These aren't infrequent situations we get ourselves into. Daily life is fraught with potential awkward circumstances, and it's more impressive if you can go a few hours without experiencing one. Despite their frequency, you may or may not have gotten better at handling these situations. That's what this chapter is for. If some of our daily conversations have awkward elements in them, then it's about time to learn tactics to deal with them. The first step is to understand briefly why awkward moments occur. What creates that feeling of discomfort and I have no idea how to handle myself at this moment? To answer this, I propose a compelling reason for awkward moments. They happen because all of the parties involved don't know what to do simultaneously. Usually, in a conversation or interaction, one party takes charge, or at the very least, there is a social script that people can conform to. They generally have an idea of what to do, how to act, what to say, what not to say, and how to resolve the situation. For instance, suppose you have a relatively good friend you haven't seen for a while. Do you go for a handshake, a hug, or if you're European, a kiss on the cheek? There's no set script here, so people are left to their own devices to figure out how to act. This, of course, leaves you in the midst of an awkward mess. But now take the setting of a formal restaurant. You have an idea of how you should act because you have gradually learned the script for that situation. When parties are at a loss for how to act, there is hesitation and a general sense of fumbling around until the situation resolves itself naturally. Another example an awkward situation is like cars merging in traffic without clear traffic laws. Without an understanding of how the traffic should merge, there is tension. Discomfort and an occasional crash. This is all eliminated when someone takes charge and creates a script for people to follow. Therefore, most of these situations are solved by someone blasting through the ambiguity and taking the lead. If there's no script, someone can set a script, and that someone should be you. Can simply taking charge of the situation and acting first obliterate all awkward situations? Of course not. That's what the rest of this chapter is for. But setting a tone for people to follow would certainly help with the earlier example of the kiss or handshake or hug debacle if you were to clearly open your arms and motion for a hug. The uncomfortable ambiguity in who should do what, when, would be alleviated. So let's dive into a few of those awkward situations and how to handle them with less scrambling and fewer sweaty palms. What's your name again? You know his face, and you even know where he works, but his name eludes your memory at the moment. Uh oh. How do you deal with this and covertly learn his name without letting him feel unmemorable and unimportant? This is another instance where we don't want to make others feel small and awkward. Has this happened to you before? Then you know it feels borderline insulting to be asked your name after meeting them once or twice before. It truly gives the impression they don't care about you and you aren't memorable. Maybe you weren't to them, 
but at least they can keep that under wraps. What are some ways to sneakily discover someone's name without having to ask them for it directly? The most obvious way is to sneak away and ask someone else in the vicinity. But this isn't always possible and there aren't always other people around. Therefore, these methods involve getting the person to say their name for another purpose than to tell you. Think of it like the fairy tale of Rumpelstiltskin. In this fairy tale, a creature named Rumpelstiltskin will only give relief to a family if the family can guess his name, which is difficult to say the least. The family sends a messenger to communicate with this beast, and in the process the messenger observes Rumpelstiltskin talking out loud to himself in the third person and revealing his name when he thought no one was around. The story typically ends with Rumpelstiltskin becoming so angry that he inadvertently tears himself in two. Ignoring the end of the story, we can apply some of these lessons. First, you can introduce this mystery person to a friend or anyone else nearby. It's not necessary to know the names of either people. You can just grab both people and say, Hey, have you two met each other? And they will naturally introduce themselves with their names and shake hands. Of course it helps if the person nearby is a friend of yours. This is my friend Bob, and Bob will immediately ask for the mystery person's name. Then you can chime in. Second, you can ask them for their contact information or business card. Make clear that it's for the purpose of wanting to keep in touch in the future. If they want to give you their phone number, insist they enter it into your phone so they actually have to type their name in first. If they want to give you their email address, often their name will be in it. Ideally, they give you a business card so you have their full name to refer to. If attaining their contact information somehow doesn't bring up their name, you can ask them to spell their name for you by claiming that you are terrible with spelling. Even if their name is common, like Kevin or Eric, you can still claim that you recently met someone who spelled their name K-E-A-V-A-N or E-R-Y-C-K, so you just need to make sure. Finally, you can always apologize and claim to be a combination of terrible with names and stressed out on the day you met originally. This is probably the answer closest to the honest answer of, I didn't pay enough attention to you, so I forgot. Most people have had days like this, so there is some level of understanding if you emphasize how bad of a day it was for you. On the flip side, what about when people don't appear to remember your name? There are two ways of dealing with this, and most people choose the one that inadvertently creates tension. Bad and tense. Hey. You don't remember my name, do you? This instantly puts people on the defensive and is a bit passive-aggressive. It makes an assumption, and the immediate response to this will be an apology. Why start a conversation off with that tone? Better. Hey, I'm Bob. We met at Ned's party. I'm not sure if you recall. How you doing? This takes charge and allows the other person to save face and skip the discomfort of not knowing. Not remembering someone's name can be embarrassing, but it's a condition that is easily fixable. Remember, taking charge and creating a script for people to follow is what obliterates awkwardness. Accepting Compliments We give compliments on a fairly frequent basis, but why exactly do we give them? You might be paying a compliment as part of your charm offensive or simply be thinking out loud about an observation about someone. Whatever the case, 
The end effect is that people feel better about themselves and more positively about you. We're after the positive consequences of a compliment. They feel better about themselves, and that translates to a conversation and their feelings about you. Giving a compliment is easy, and we've even covered some ways to make them special. But in practice, accepting and receiving compliments is rarely a smooth process. Some people know what to say, but most fumble with it. Think back to the last compliment you paid someone. You may imagine that it sends people to cloud nine, but the path was probably a bit more twisted. What happened after it was given? Most people, including you, often don't know how to handle direct praise and become uncomfortable when confronted with it. We live in societies that are both passive and hateful of pride, so this shouldn't be a surprise. When we avoid being direct in our lives, we have no idea what to do when we're face to face with it. The response was probably one of the following: false modesty. Oh, my muscles! I didn't know you could see them bulging in this shirt. Awkward stuttering. Um, you mean my biceps? Thanks. I guess. <sighs> Flat-out denial, masking happiness or belying deep insecurity. What are you talking about? I'm fat, ugly, and out of shape. You're blind. Direct evocation of a deep insecurity. I'm fit. I don't know. I used to be the fat kid, and I never really see myself as attractive or deserving of anyone. Gratitude, then immediately switching topics out of discomfort. Hey, thanks. Um, how about the weather? You'll probably recognize each of these responses, and hopefully, you can see how each is not ideal. Only the last example doesn't derail a conversation and make both parties feel uncomfortable about being positive. Handling a compliment poorly can stall an interaction. Sometimes there is a resistance to accepting a compliment because people don't want to be caught in a false positive. In other words, people don't want to genuinely say thank you only to be told someone was kidding or being sarcastic about the compliment. It's the equivalent of waving at someone, only to discover that they weren't waving at you but actually at someone behind you. So how do you take a compliment gracefully and within the flow of a conversation? You already know that you can accept it directly, but chances are you're not doing that because of the aforementioned fear of a false positive, or plain discomfort showing pride in yourself. Therefore, you can safely accept a compliment by complimenting the compliment. This keeps a conversation flowing and also caters to your compulsion to move the attention off of you. Patrick, your haircut makes you look like a Gap model. Thanks. When did you get so great at complimenting and flattering people, Patrick? The way you shot that gun was nothing short of amazing. Thanks, you're the one that taught me how to do it. All credit to you, Patrick. Those are some sweet shoes. Thanks, you are the most observant person I know, Patrick. You have the body of a modern Adonis. Thanks. You have the funniest comparisons out of anyone I know. Complimenting the compliment is more than taking the focus off of you. It allows you to avoid what happens when you either reject or accept a compliment, both of which can have negative consequences. For example, if I were to agree that my haircut does make me look handsome, like James Dean, 
it can be seen as a bit arrogant, can't it? If I were to deny it, it's a bit frustrating for the complimenter and makes me seem like I'm fishing for attention. And so on. You avoid all of the pitfalls that I illustrated in my earlier examples, the pitfalls that stall conversation. Complimenting the complimenting allows you to deflect your attention onto something else entirely, which lets you bypass talking about the compliment, typically the most uncomfortable part about it. It also injects another positive element into your conversation. Instead of ambiguity and potential awkwardness and negativity, you created a mutual positive situation. This triggers positive reciprocal action. In other words, you share the spotlight and turn a simple compliment into a win-win situation. Compliments are meant to be good, so compliment it back. Share the goodness and welcome more positivity into your life. Breaking the Ice Another extremely common awkward situation to prepare for is the act of breaking the ice with a stranger, acquaintance, or even friend. It's not that we don't know what to say. Just like when we forget someone's name, we know the most direct path to getting what we want. The easiest and most direct way of breaking the ice is just to say hello and introduce your name. We just feel supremely uncomfortable using it. Thus arises the need for sly tactics to accomplish what we want through indirect means. This happens for a multitude of reasons, summed up by the feeling that we are interrupting people or otherwise inconveniencing them. That's one way of looking at it. Unfortunately, it's the most common. We have trouble breaking the ice with people, even though it's such a simple thing, because we create a they'll-think feedback loop in our brains. For instance, if we suddenly chat up a stranger or barge into two people already having a conversation, we are afraid they'll think I'm a weirdo, they'll think I'm a creep, they'll think I'm rude. It doesn't matter that these aren't true. We think they are true. And thus they stop us from easy solutions to the problem of breaking the ice. It's a matter of finding a way to deal with this potentially awkward situation and getting ahead of the judgments and assumptions you create for yourself. How can you feel okay about breaking the ice? By doing it indirectly. In other words, having some sort of excuse or justification to speak to someone. When we have come up with a reason, suddenly it's easy to interrupt people or walk up to a stranger. For instance... Would you have a problem walking up to someone and asking for directions if you were utterly lost and on the verge of exhaustion? Doubtful. And not just because of necessity. You'd feel that you have a compelling reason to speak, and that would override your fear of judgment. That's the meaning of indirect in this context. You have an actual reason to approach someone. And when we can create one for ourselves, we can convince ourselves to take action more easily. In other instances, you might refer to this feeling as the feeling of plausible deniability, where you have a plausible reason to walk up and start a conversation in a way that no one can think you're rude or weird. Therefore, I want to present three indirect methods of breaking the ice that make you feel safe because you aren't necessarily walking up to someone just for the sake of starting a conversation. The biggest part of the battle is making breaking the ice feel acceptable. It's in... I don't feel confident or comfortable issue more than in I don't know what to say issue. Recall that asking for directions on the verge of exhaustion makes all of those worries secondary.
The first indirect method of breaking the ice is to ask people for objective information or a subjective opinion. These can be very legitimate and important questions that would necessitate speaking to a stranger. It doesn't necessarily matter that the person you are asking knows the answer. It's just a way to begin a dialogue. For that matter, it doesn't even matter that you don't know the answer. Excuse me, do you know what time the speeches begin? Do you know where the closest Starbucks is? What did you think of the CEO's speech? Do you like the food here? The first two examples are asking for objective information, while the latter two are asking for a subjective opinion. The second indirect method of breaking the ice is to comment on something in the environment, context, or specific situation. It can be as simple as an observation. Imagine you are thinking out loud and prompting people to answer. Did you see that piece of art on the wall? What a crazy concept! The lighting in here is beautiful. I think it's worth more than my house. This is an amazing DJ. All the rock ballads of the 80s. Notice how these are all statements and not direct questions. You are inviting someone to comment on your statement instead of asking them to engage. The third and final indirect method of breaking the ice is to comment on a commonality you both share. For instance, why are you both at your friend Jack's apartment? What business brings you both to this networking conference in Tallahassee? What stroke of misfortune brought you to the DMV this morning? So who do you know here? So how do you know Jack? Has Jack told you about the time he went skiing with his dog? The idea with these commonalities is that they are instant topics of conversation because there will be a clear answer behind them. These indirect icebreakers aren't rocket science, but their main value is to make you feel okay with breaking the ice, which is the real problem. Dealing with Interruptions A final awkward situation to be ready for on a daily basis is dealing with interruptions. Actually, this goes beyond awkward and straight into the infuriating category. You're explaining the mechanics of how to apply for a research grant to your coworkers. One of them cuts in on you to comment on the tediousness of the process. You allow a few minutes for her rants. Then, when she pauses to take a breath, you thank her for sharing her thoughts and continue. You don't get past your second sentence when she interrupts again to ask a question. You indulge her curiosity and answer, then continue with the process you're trying to explain. Then she interrupts you again. If this is a familiar situation for you, you understand how exasperating it can be to try to manage such interruptions without seeming like you're shutting somebody out. You want your listeners to have opinions about what you're discussing, and you don't want to dampen the interactive atmosphere in the room by snubbing those who offer theirs. So how do you deal with intrusive interruptions without sounding like an oppressive authoritarian? Use the preemptive strike. Suggested by Harvard professor Francesca Gino, this tactic involves explaining beforehand when interruptions will be welcome. For example, you may kick off your presentation by saying, There are five main points I want to run down with you so that everyone's oriented on the issue first. Then we'll be soliciting opinions and questions from the group based on what you hear from that. 
This lets your listeners know that offering their opinions or questions before you've finished all five points is likely to be premature, so they'll be better off reserving those until the end of the presentation. If someone still interrupts you during your presentation, you could reinforce the message by saying, Allow me to finish giving all five points first like I mentioned. Then I want your thoughts. This lets your listeners know that it's not that you don't care about what they have to say, it's just that there's a better time to hear them out. When they understand that they'll later have their time to step on the podium and be heard with undivided attention, they'll be less likely to intrude while you're delivering what you have to say. There may still be times, though, when the preemptive strike is not enough to strike down a constant interrupter. As explained by licensed clinical psychologist Dr. Joel Minden, interrupting during social situations is a way to demonstrate power. Not wanting to surrender that power, some people may insist on dominating conversations by frequent, intrusive interruptions. This differs from the way a friend's excited talk may overlap with yours as you both engage in a lively conversation. That's no biggie. Aggressive interrupters are destructive, butting in constantly to demonstrate their power. To deal with frequent, intrusive interrupters, writer Rose Eveleth suggests calling the other person out on their intrusion, repeating their name over and over, and interrupting back until they finally give way to you. However, Dr. Minden points out that this may lead to a power battle that you're unlikely to win if you're not the confrontational type. Nonetheless, Dr. Minden says that effectively dealing with constant interrupters will still call for a degree of assertiveness. You'll need to learn how to hold your own conversational ground. If you feel intimidated by the idea of asserting your own right to talk uninterrupted, consider changing the way you think about assertiveness. It's not about being confrontational. It's about being open and direct about what you think is the appropriate way to hold a productive conversation. Say your colleague insists on interrupting you with irrelevant comments during your presentation. You may deal with the situation by saying, I'd appreciate it if you reserve your comments and questions for the end of the presentation. I'd like to finish discussing these points first so we could make the best use of the time we have. Now what about in situations when it's you who's accidentally interrupted someone or you're witnessing another speaker being interrupted? How do you reel the conversation back to a place where the person interrupted doesn't feel like they're being disregarded? Simple. Immediately after the interruption, ask the person to continue. Say that as you hasten to elaborate on a point your colleague has raised, you accidentally talk over him and draw the attention of the room to your explanation instead. Once you realize what has happened, address your interrupted colleague with, You raised a great point about the advantage of tapping local community resources. May we hear the rest of what you intended to say about it? This will let your colleague, as well as the rest of the group, know that you heard his point clearly and are interested in the complete expression of his views about it. The world will never run out of interruptions to riddle your day with, but the mission is not to eliminate them entirely. It's to learn how to handle them effectively. Takeaways Awkward situations occur just about every day, yet they are still awkward because we never learn how to deal with them. So how do you deal with awkward? by taking charge and setting the tone and eliminating the ambiguity that causes the awkward in the first place. 
but it's also helpful to provide blueprints on how to deal with common awkward situations you might come across. The first is forgetting someone else's name, and that's a matter of getting them to say their name without you directly asking. You can introduce them to someone else, ask for their contact info, ask them to spell their last name, or just fess up that you forgot and it's not personal. Accepting compliments is also something people handle with discomfort, and it's just a matter of deflecting the attention from yourself and complimenting the compliment. In this way, you can turn positivity one way into positivity for two people. Breaking the ice with strangers is never a comfortable feeling, but that's because it feels intrusive and rude. If you can give yourself a plausible reason for speaking to people, then you can easily interject and break the ice. For instance, you can ask for information or an opinion. You can also comment on something that is shared or comment on something in the environment. Finally, dealing with interruptions can save your sanity because interruptions are frustrating. You can use a preemptive strike to let people know that you don't want to be interrupted. You can continually emphasize it and use it as a barometer to gauge who will respect your space. If you are the one who interrupts, then make it a habit to bring things back to what the other person was saying.